Welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast, where our mission is to encourage, equip, and empower every woman on her faith journey with Jesus Christ. Today, we are honored to share a conversation from September 2022 with my friend Marlis Kingswriter. Along with being a beloved mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother, she and her husband, Dell, were well-respected, influential Minnesota missionaries in Africa. In this conversation, you will hear about some of Marlis's journey to the mission field, wisdom for relationships, and her positive attitude despite life's challenges. Since the time of this recording, Marlis has gone to be with Jesus, and we honor her memory and example of being a God-fearing woman who ran her earthly race well. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, today we have the honor of having Marlis Kingswriter as our guest on the podcast. And Marlis is a retired missionary. She and her husband were missionaries in Africa. And so, Marlis, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for coming to the district office. Um, So today we'd just love to hear a little bit about your experience, well, some of who you are, and then some of your experience on the mission field, and then also advice to younger women in general. So firstly, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I grew up in South Minneapolis near Lake Nokomis and also in the Minneapolis Gospel Tabernacle. My grandpa used to bring me to Sunday school, and uh, then as I grow older, we had a wonderful young young people's group uh, with F.J. Lindquist as my pastor, and uh, he, it was just a wonderful, uh, we look back on those years with, uh, with thinking about the wonderful times we had together and how we grew in the Lord. And it was a very missions-minded church. We had a lot of missionary speakers. So you grew up knowing the Lord. Yes, I did. At what age do you feel like it became a personal decision for you? Well, it was during a, a, a revival meeting by Claude Cooper, who was from South Africa, of all things. And uh, during one of his evening services, I raised my hand and went down to the altar and accepted Christ as my Savior, even though I had been in the church and always loved God. But this was a decision for me to follow Jesus uh, with my whole heart. And you have been doing so ever since. Ever since. And Marlis, can I ask, how old are you right now? I am 93 and one half years old. Wow. I'll be 94 in November. That's amazing. So a whole life of and, serving and the Lord. I'm proud of every year I have survived. <laughs> um, Marlis, something that people might not realize um, is a way that you have served in the church for years um, is through piano playing. Yes, and I still play the piano. Um, I became the um, pianist and organist in the Minneapolis Gospel Temple at age 17 uh, until I married and left the church. But uh, I was always played the piano. And, and in Africa, I, of course, I had played a piano accordion. Uh, but I and I still play the piano where I live in assisted living. I play for for chapel. I play for sing-alongs. I play hymns. I play secular, and it's all by ear because I can no longer read notes because of macular degeneration. That's a huge blessing that you offer to people through sharing your music. Well, I, I love music, and um, yes, I I try to do that. When did you start playing piano? My parents bought me my, uh, my first piano when I was 11 years old, and that's when I started taking lessons at McPhail School of Music. And I took lessons from age 11 till 16. And age 16, I started working part-time at Dayton uh, on Monday nights and Saturdays. And so there really wasn't time to keep up with my practice and, and piano lessons. But I have played ever since then. Transitioning a little bit to meeting Dell, how did you meet 
Well, I knew who he was because his brother Arvid was in the state CH president. And one night at Lake Geneva Bible Camp, I played for the service, and I stayed late and played during the altar call and altar service. And when I left the old tabernacle, Del King's writer was waiting for me at the door and asked if I'd like to go into town for something to eat. Well, sure. I mean, he was good looking, and and uh, I wanted to, be, to go with him, and and so that was our first date. That's pretty awesome. Yes, and it led to an awesome life too. Uh, so he saw you playing the piano. You went out to eat, and then was the rest history? Yes, it was history because now he was pastoring a whole missions church in Eveleth, and I was down at this big church with a big young people's group, and he was afraid I might date some of the guys in our group, and so he wrote me a letter uh, maybe after we had had two or three dates and said, um, either we go together steady or we're not going at all. I mean, he didn't really say it that way, but that's the way I put it. That's the way I remember it, okay? And I knew he was the best thing that had come along so far, so I said, okay, we'll go steady. Okay, so you have told me about speaking at North Central University and something that you shared with the students about. You don't really want me to repeat that, do you? <laughs> well, I, I had, the, the day they, um, they, they, they named a building after Dell, Dell Kingswriter uh, building. And the day they dedicated that building, they asked me to speak to the student body. Now, I am no, no speaker, uh, I'm not a preacher, but I did agree to talk to the students. So I started out by apologizing to President Anderson because I had only gone one year to North Central because Dell Kingswriter had told me he could teach me everything I needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I be- and I believe. No, wait a minute. Now, when I said that, the student body burst out in laughter, <laughs> and when the laughter had died down, I said, and I believed him, and so they <laughs> laughed again. Now, I had two rows of lettered professors in front of me, and I had just dug myself into a hole. I had to get out of the hole, so I said, "Now, girls, that happened 50 years ago. Today, you need your education. Don't listen to these guys." <laughs> that was how I started my speech. I love it. So you went on to marry Dell, and then you ended up becoming missionaries. And where did you go as missionaries? We Our first term was in um, the uh, southern highlands of Tanzania. And then the, they, the, they transferred us to Blantyre, Malawi, where we spent two terms, one four years and another five years. So our, our, our son would get through uh, the British school system. Form four, and then the Dell was asked to be the uh, director of all of East Africa. So we moved to Nairobi, Kenya, and um, spent the last about thirteen years uh, in uh, Kenya. What's a fun memory that you have from those places related to the culture, or the food, or the people? Uh, I'm not sure I would say it as fun, but I do remember uh, going to the home of the uh, leader of the Boy Scouts in uh, Kenya. And uh, we went in the evening for a supper meal. And of course they don't have it, they didn't have electric lights, they just had kerosene or gas lights, however however they were run. And um, and it was very dark, but but they served such good food. They, they had um, the greens that they fixed, I don't know how they fixed them, but they were so good. 
and uh, just the fellowship was great. And, and this, we had this guy bring his Boy Scout troop to our home in Tokuyu uh, for, for a cookout one night. And I've often wondered whatever happened to, first of all, the, the Boy Scout leader and, and to those boys. I, I wish I knew what had happened to them. What was your focus when you were doing missions? Well, of course, the first term of children were, were young, and my, my focus probably was more on my family. Uh, as we moved to um, Malawi, Adele was always in leadership, like chairman of the field, or then eventually all over East Africa. And so I felt the, the, I felt that the women sort of looked to me for, for leadership. And um, when we when our staff grew in Nairobi, especially because of the East Africa School of Theology, I felt uh, that God wanted me to have a Bible study for our missionary wives. I felt that that was not my cup of tea, but and I told God that it wasn't, but he said, you do it anyway. And so I did. And because, um, you know, women can be gossips and they can be a little sly and uh, cause trouble. And if you can get the women together, you can avoid a lot of problems. And so just getting the women together, not even our, the AG women, women's, but, but other missionary um, uh, organizations were welcome to join us as well. And we had good fellowship to begin with at the home of whoever hosted us. And uh, then we would have our Bible study and prayer. And we became a family and visitors who would visit Kenya would say that they felt a family spirit, which is what we were um, after with our missionary council. That's beautiful. Is there uh, some advice you would give to people who do gather with other women? Like how did you help to facilitate a family feel? I can't, I can't think of any particular advice. Um, it, it was just, it, it was just uh, the fellowship, um, praying together. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would like to ha to tell you about one particular uh, uh, example of one time, one of our ladies came and uh, she started talking about her husband. Now, one of our rules was we're not going to talk about our husbands or our children. Uh, if we can ask prayer for them, but not talk about the problems we're having. But uh, uh, she started talking about her husband and the problems she was having. And I'm sitting there asking the Lord to help me to stop this. I didn't know what to do and nothing happened. And we let her go on until she was finished. And then we all gathered around her and prayed for her. And I, all that next week, I was thinking, Lord, what could I have done? And the only thing that came to me was, be Jesus' ear. Hmm. And sometimes we just need to listen to people. They need to vent, mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter what they say. We keep it, we keep it under confidence. And one thing I, that I remember is that whatever she said that day and whatever we heard that day, it never went beyond mm -hmm. that room. Mm -hmm. And that's what, what was one of my goals, that what was said there stayed there. So people feel safe. So they feel safe. They can vent if they need to vent. And then we prayed, and it stays right there with mm. God. And then for her to have had that support of people being able to pray for her, I'm sure meant a lot to her. Yes, and uh, it, it helped. So be Jesus's 
listening ear. To be Jesus' ear. We talk a lot about Jesus' hands and Jesus' feet, but I had never really considered Jesus' ears before. Hmm. That is really good. So you had said earlier on your focus was more on your family. So were, were your children born in Africa? No, uh, our children were all born in the States. And when we left for Africa in August of 1955, uh, our son was six, our daughter was four, and Brian was just one year old. Wow, that's so brave to move a young family overseas. I, I guess it was brave looking back on it. And we we sailed from, from New York to, to um, London, at, or to England, I should say. And Brian had just learned to walk. And so I brought I bought a, a harness for him. <laughs> so I, he, I wasn't going to have him falling off the edge of the ship into the, into the ocean. And he, I'm sure he couldn't have anyway, but I felt better having him on a harness. <laughs> wow, you sailed. So today when we send missionaries, all that I know of is families flying well we flew from london okay and stopped but then those there was no jets there were prop jobs in those days so we we flew from one like 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 from paris to to geneva to rome and then then down to nairobi do you remember how long it was from leaving the states to getting to your home i do not remember uh i know the the uh voyage from uh, new york to to uh, England was probably five days on the Queen Elizabeth. Okay. And But I don't remember how long it took us the rest of the way. And what was the feeling like when you got there? Well, we had corresponded with Wes and June Hurst, where the, who were the first missionaries in Tanzania, AG missionaries, I should say. And we had corresponded with them for some months. And so I felt in some way I knew what I was getting into in another way, it was completely different. It was a, a completely different lifestyle. And we lived with Wes and June Hurst and their two children for about nine months before we found a house to rent to move mm. into, and we remained friends. Hmm. That's amazing. It, it is amazing. But we had fun. It makes a difference when you are friends with your team that you get to work with. Absolutely. You had said before that moving to another culture, something that you tried to keep was your own culture. Yes. Too. And where did you learn that? Or It was just something I, f- I felt I wanted to keep our home American for our sakes as well as for our children's sakes. And it wasn't that we that we still had, we invited nationals into our home. They ate at our table. We went to their homes and ate in their home. But I felt for our sake, our home was going to be American. We ate American. Uh, I could buy all the fruits and vegetables I needed in the market. I could mm-hmm. I could cook an American. Although we we learned some uh, foreign cooking as well. Uh, uh, one of my favorite dishes now is uh, curry chicken and rice. Ooh. And I used to make it, and it was good, and I don't cook anymore, and I miss it. And once in a while, Brian has it on Sunday afternoons for dinner, and I'm often at his home on Sunday nights for dinner. Well, it sounds good. I think everyone listening will probably want to show up at his door to try that. (laughs) And the the secret to that curried rice and chicken is getting the rice curry powder. And you have to get it. uh, Well, I think you can probably buy it in the foreign grocery stores today or maybe even over the Internet. You can get anything over the Internet. That's true. But it's it's Simba and Bili is what you have, which it interpreted into English as two lions. Simba and Bili. Simba and Bili. Curry powder. (laughs) 
Our annual summer gathering, the Garden Coffee, is coming up soon. Join us on Saturday, July 8th at 10.30 a.m. at Lake Geneva Christian Center in Alexandria, Minnesota for this free missional event for women and girls of all ages. Along with enjoying refreshments under the large outdoor tent, you'll be able to worship with Keaton Getz, hear from Olivia and Ava Puccini, missionaries to Eurasia Northwest, as well as have the opportunity to invest into missions. Invite the women in your family or church community Community to join us. There is no RSVP required. Visit mnbtg.org slash thousand sisters. That's mnbtg.org slash one zero 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 sisters for more information. We can't wait to see you there. Oh, and if you're wondering, yes, Keaton Getz is the son of BTG director Angie Getz. See you soon. How was communication when you went on the mission field? So today I can use my phone and text someone overseas right now. What was it like for you when you left? Um, probably not having or knowing that you wouldn't be able to talk with people as we, often. We, if we tried calling home, it would have to go through through England, and I think it had to go through some underground uh, pipeline under the ocean. I don't know what it was, but it was very poor. And uh, letters probably took at least a week. That would be on the air forms. And uh, if I wanted, I always uh, subscribed to the Good Housekeeping magazine, and it took probably two or three months for that to get to me by boat mail. Okay. So when you left, it was really a big sacrifice well i don't call it a sacrifice but it was a big change and it was it wasn't particularly hard for me i was never um i was always a very independent person and i didn't depend on my parents so even after after i got married i just i was on my own and uh, that was it and of course i had dell mm-hmm you want to know how many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren yeah. I have? Yes. How many? Uh, well, I have three children, yeah. and I must say that I'm so happy that our three children all are in good marriages. I have uh, nine grandchildren, and I have uh, 28 great-grandchildren. Wow. And the oldest is 25 years old. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, and you get to see some of them? Fairly often? I see my younger son. He lives in the Twin Cities. My two older children live in Missouri. Um, Many of my grandchildren and great-grandchildren live in the Twin Cities. Okay. Oh, that's special. I think there's only two families that live down in Missouri with great-grandchildren. That's really precious to get to have your family nearby. I must say that that my grandchildren and great-grandchildren don't communicate with me very often, and, and that's okay because I know they're busy. Mm-hmm. So communication is a two-way street. So if I want to hear from them, I can call them. If I don't, if I get their voicemail, all I say is, um, uh, "Hello, I've been thinking of you. And I wanted to talk to you, but um, I just want to say I'm praying for you. I love you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can call me, come and see me sometime. I'd love to see you." That's it. Wow. I love what you just said about how communication is a two-way street. I think sometimes people can feel like they're always the one that's asking or that no one's ever asking me. But to for everyone to always remember, it is a two-way street and people do get busy. And so, you know, if you feel like no one's asking you something, we can be the initiators. I've never felt like out. poor me. Nobody mm. calls me. I can call them. 
this is part of my independent spirit. I was an only child, but I was raised by two very strict parents. And never any excuse for feeling like I'm bored. Oh, if I was bored, my mother put me right to work doing housework. <laughs> <laughs> so you you weren't allowed to grow up with the victim mindset of poor me and... Absolutely not. Furthermore, I lived next door to a family of nine kids. And the father had died when the youngest was a couple years old. The mother was living on welfare. Those children were in a, nine kids were in a one bedroom house with one bathroom. And I think they, they lived, they, they slept up in the attic, which was not insulated, hot in the summer, cold in the winter. I never heard one complaint from that family. And the last one of them died just recently, and I attended her funeral Aww. yesterday. And uh, she was one of my very best friends. Wow, I'm sorry about that. And, and the family stayed together. They were all good friends. They were wonderful people. Sounds like an inspiring family, how they grew up and, like you said, never complained. I was up there half the time. I became <laughs> their 10th child. I liked it or not, there I am. <laughs> Friends like family are super special. That's so cool that you got to grow up having them. Yep. So, Marla, just a, the last couple of questions. Do you have any advice for younger women? Um, one, women that are maybe considering missions. So starting with that, and then I'll ask you something else. Uh, that that's hard to that's hard to answer, because people are so different. Now I I have a, what I consider a very positive personality, and uh, some people may not be as positive as I. It would be a lot harder for them to leave their home, their families. Uh, but you first of all you have to put Jesus first. And uh, when when I left a 17 year old daughter here in the states for college and I went back to Africa, I, her, the look on her face as we said goodbye still haunts me. Mm. But she became a very wonderful person. Uh, she's a nurse, she was a pastor's wife. Um, but those things are hard and uh, the only advice I can give you is Jesus first. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Um, so just in general with women in making decisions for life paths and who to marry or, you know, all sorts of decisions that lay ahead of people, what is some of your advice on making decisions? Well, it, it almost seems like my decisions were made for me. Mm -hmm. And, and I think often of the words of Jacob as he was about to die and he talked about the God who shepherd, has shepherded me all of my life. Hmm. And you know, I could almost, I'm gonna get tears in my eyes here, but I look back on my life and I see how God has shepherded me. If, if you are willing to follow him and say yes to what he asks you to do, it's like, excuse me, it's not, it's not hard to be, to, it's not hard to follow Jesus. Hmm. Um, that, that's uh, that's putting it very simply, but I don't I don't know how else to put it. God has shepherded me all of my life, and He will do the same for you if you just let Him. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for sharing all this today about you and your life and your the work that God led you to do. And I'm just. I wish we could know, you know, the impact of how many people you have blessed throughout your whole life and maybe in heaven 
Oh, it'll have to wait till heaven yeah. because we didn't take we didn't take keep numbers. Mm. But I just want would want to say one more thing. My my basic philosophy of life is, if you can accept what God sends into your life, you can be a happy and contented person. Hmm. Can you expound on that just a tiny bit? Well, it, 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 if you want to know the things that have happened to me in my life that I've had to accept, uh, the the most the hardest thing for me to accept, of course, was the death of my husband, whom I loved very dearly. And we had a wonderful marriage. And then uh, I've, I've had uh, three major sur abdominal surgeries. They've left me with things that I have to live with. But, uh, and, and if I was kick against the pricks, I, I could be very unhappy. But uh, I live with what I have. I'm happy with what I, I do have. I, I live with macular degeneration, which uh, is, is very difficult to live with if I think about it a lot, because I used to like to read and sew and crochet and do crossword puzzles, mm. I can't do those things anymore. So I read books. I, I mean, I listen to books on tape. I play my piano by ear. I can't read music anymore, but I can play by ear. I, I can play uh, hymns. I can play secular. I can play anything you ask me to play. If I know the song, I can play it. That is so inspiring to see how you live your mindset to choose to be happy yes. and choose to be thankful even though the things like you just mentioned are things that you wouldn't wish wouldn't for choose, no wouldn't you wouldn't choose, choose myself, them no. mm -hmm. and so you just have decided i'm going to see what i what i do have i have decided to follow jesus mm -hmm. the world behind me the cross before me I love that. Well, thank you, Marlis. Thanks for being you. And everyone who knows you, I'm sure, would also say that you have a great sense of humor. Uh, yes, and I, I love to give, to give you riddles, and I love to tell jokes. And, yeah. But we won't do that on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming today. Thanks for sharing more about your story and for inspiring us all to live a life after Jesus, that he is, he's the focus. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bridge in the Gap podcast. We were honored to hear from Marlis Kingswriter on a missionary's journey. If you are considering missions, whether giving or going, and don't know where to start, we invite you to email us at info at mnbtg.org. You're also invited to this summer's Garden Coffee on July 8th at 1030 at Lake Geneva Christian Center. Learn more about Bridge in the Gap at mnbtg.org by downloading the Bridge in the Gap app through your app store or by following mnbtg on social media. We also also invite you to take a moment to rate and review this podcast to help others find this resource as well. Thank you for joining us today and we look forward to being with you next time on the Bridge in the Gap podcast.